You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. Hey, it's good to be here at Thrive this morning. And uh, boy, James has been a good series. I, um, I don't know, when, when, when you're studying the scriptures to get ready to uh, share on it, I think you learn more because you have to. I don't know, teachers probably know that, right? When you do the lesson planning and you have to teach someone else the material, you have to learn it twice as good, right? So I probably get more out of it than anyone. Um, Today's lesson, I think, is going to be really good as well. Uh, He's very practical, pithy, um, blunt. (laughs) I think these are pretty harsh words, actually, that we're going to look at today. So before we do, I want to pray, okay? Lord God, thank you so much uh, for your grace that does uh, give us the framework for all of our lives, the foundation on which we build. We thank you, Lord God, that you um, give us the ability to be peacemakers, those who bring peace into conflicted situations. We pray for our world right now. Um, a world that is in the midst of so many conflicts, Lord, Um, but they're not just overseas, Lord, they're right here in our midst, and and it's it's been a difficult summer for us all, I think, Lord. We pray, we grieve, we mourn, and we ask that you make us, as St. Francis prayed many, many years ago, instruments of your peace. So bless this study today. We pray that you'd be with... um, Um, all the churches in our area, that we would be peacemakers here. Thank you for ministries like Summit and Gulf Coast Presbyterian and um, Estero United Methodist, and you name it, Lord. Um, There's so many churches in our midst and around our area that we are so thankful for that you've made one church in many expressions, and we're a part of it. We pray for a movement in this area, Lord that your kingdom would grow, not necessarily our church, but your kingdom would grow, and your kingdom would expand in such a way, and that we would be a part of it, that we would see your goodness now and be able to witness to more people that you are the Prince of Peace. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So, um, you can look... um, at uh, Bible.com, um, the U version, and find this whole series um, on there, I believe. And today we're going to be looking at how conflicts are resolved. Um, and the passages from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Pretty harsh words, like I said. He's very blunt about it. Last week, the text said, Who is wise among you? is the way it started out. And that was a good question for our day and age and our time. And this week, it's what causes quarrels and fights among you? So he's kind of taken it a step further and kind of been blunt that in the Christian church at his day and age, he could even see it going on. So let's read. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says... He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay. These are pretty harsh words. Like I said, it would be nice if we could just say, can't we all just get along and everybody just get a little more information? And maybe this sermon kind of falls into that. I'm going to kind of give you four G's to resolving conflict, and it might be just considered as information, and, but I don't expect it to just solve every issue. And I don't think James does either. It's not so simple as to just have the right information or to be taught. It's not, education's not going to solve this one. Psychology isn't going to solve this one. Politics definitely aren't going to solve this one. Military might isn't going to solve it. Laws aren't going to solve it. I mean, you can go down the list of every ism and ideology and thought. It's not going to solve it. The only one that's going to solve this one, if you want to call it, it's theology. It's a theological issue that James is getting at, or it's really God's going to solve it. It's going to be about a relationship with God and relationships with others that is going to solve the conflicts that we see in this world. That's about it. Okay, Harsh words. Now, here's the simple profound if I guess I could just say this the message summary and be done with it but you know preachers okay so um, the summary is this the gospel of Jesus Christ enters the space that is filled with quarrels and envy and conceit and jealousy and it heals and reconciles and brings peace among God's people that it creates a humility and a type of unity among God's people where relationships are deep and thriving that's where we're headed, okay? That's where we're headed. Now, what James is getting at in our text is not the fact that all conflict has to go in this way, but so often conflict does. So I think it's probably best right now if you understand what is conflict. What is conflict, okay? What is conflict? And conflict is really simply this, a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires, okay? You didn't meet my expectations. This is what I wanted. I can't get it. Then we have a conflict. Okay? It's not the conflict itself that's the problem. It's how I handle the conflict. Okay? And causes of conflict, some of them are simply misunderstandings. I just didn't understand what you were saying. That's never happened to you, though, in a friendship, has it? Um, a text message you got from somebody, and it's like, what? And then you find out, um, oops, they didn't mean it that way, right? Um, or in marriage, you always understand your spouse. Woo! Okay. So it can be misunderstandings. It can be differences in values and goals that what I want and what you want for vacation are totally different, okay? Or it can be competition over resources. You know, hey, there's only so much pie in... And, that happened often in my home family. And Lisa knows this. It's so I, I, I was kind of like, I just kept eating and eating as a kid, you know? So mom would make a cake, and it was sitting there for three hours. That was long enough. It was all gone. And then my sister or brother, where's the cake? It's like, well, snooze, you lose, you know? So that created a conflict, okay? 
Um, selfish attitudes and des- I guess that might have been me too, though. Okay, selfish attitudes and desires, and then finally stress caused by change. Okay, those are all, con- but it's not conflict is not the problem. It's how I handle the conflict, okay? It's really not the fact that there's even competition. Competition can be fine. It's okay if there are different values and goals. We can work through that and process it, but it comes down to this. It's how I handle it. It's what James says here in our text. It's when my jealousy, my envy, my ego, my selfishness, my desires that are at war within me, when a conflict arises, you know what happens? It's like the, the lid to the volcano comes out and I find all this gunk that was always inside of me comes out and you get to face the lava, <laughs> right? The magna flies in your direction, okay? That's what James is getting at. And we're going to kind of work through this. I know his text is pretty boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, like hard-hitting words, We're going to kind of flip it around, sort of, and see that there really are four G's to resolving conflict. This is the easiest way. A lot of this material today is from a ministry called Peacemakers, which a number of our leadership towards the beginning, after about a year we were in the ministry here together, um, we went through it. Every church that I've been a part of, and I don't think it's just me, okay? I think every church, okay? You have to decide that. But every church I've been a part of has had conflict, okay? And um, every ch- 80% of Christian churches in the United States are in the midst of conflict, sometimes low-level, sometimes extreme, sometimes it's over values and goals. Unresolved, it can really become a problem. It can undermine our witness. It can cause all sorts of issues. If you haven't noticed, probably more than 80% of families or neighborhoods or, you know, are in conflict. People face it everywhere, workplaces, etc. It might be low level, but it's still there. So how do you resolve it? And though James is kind of hitting them hard with it, there's also a way to say, this is the positive spin on this, okay? The first G to resolving conflict is to glorify God, okay? To glorify God. So like I said, conflict is not all bad, and this is why in James 4, it says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. In other words, God wants more for us than we want for ourselves. He is jealously wanting more for you. He wants us to thrive, and I want to (laughs) win. He wants us to be at peace and I want to dominate. He wants us to work together and I want to be right. You see how that works? He wants so much more for me and my relationships, in my family, in my church, in my life, and I just want to have it my way. The question comes down to this. How can I glorify God? in the midst of this conflict. You see, because every time a conflict comes up, it's really a temptation to go one of two ways. You can go, like I said last week, the way of worldly wisdom or the way of wisdom from above. It's a temptation. They're always common. You're tempted to take it over and kind of run the power game, which the world tends to do often and all the time. Instead of the way 
of godly wisdom, which is the way of open to reason, humble, pure, as it says right here in James just before this. So there's always a temptation that seizes you in conflict, and it's the way you handle it. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In our text in James today, he says, God gives more grace. He gives more grace. So when I'm facing a conflict, it brings out of me this, mm, and all of a sudden I have to look within and go like, well, wait a minute, what's going on in here? And how can I glorify, how can we glorify God in the midst of us having a difference here that could get in the way? How can we show a unity? How can we show love and sacrifice and pay? all of this? How can this glorify God? So put that bigger framework around, the framework of grace that he gives more grace in the midst of conflict. By the way, do you realize you do not learn patience by have everything going smoothly in your life? You do not learn to be a peacemaker by having everyone liking you all the time. You don't learn how to love by having every, you know, all your expectations met. You learn these things. You can glorify God through them when things are difficult. It's a necessity for me to grow up to have things not go my way. So, when conflicts arise, the first G, how can I glorify God in this? How can we glorify God in this? The second G, get the log out. Okay? It's a biblical metaphor, and we'll get to that. It's so easy, so quick, so just like matter of fact that, boom, this finger goes your way. And even though three are pointing back, this one is the real one. (laughs) And it's like, look at what she did. Look at what he did. I cannot believe it. And it doesn't matter whether I'm avoiding the conflict or I am engaging and attacking in the conflict. I can deny it and still be pointing my finger because basically, I just got to get away from him because, and then it comes. And it can be an attack in a backhanded way. You, You realize gossip is basically a form of attack just not a direct assault. It's just the, can you believe, co- you know, the, the, at work this happens all the time. I can't believe so and so. I just feel so. And so it's just so easy to have that happen. But the Bible says get the log out. That's why Jesus spoke these words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And you respond, but they're 90% at fault in this. I mean, clearly they are. Well, then work on your 10%. Own your 10%. Own up to your 10%, whatever that is. Okay? James puts it this way. 
Submit yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Get the log out by saying, Lord, here I am. I'm a mess right now. I'm really angry. All I can see is what's wrong with the other person, what's wrong with them. They did this. They did that. I'm double-minded. Do you realize what double-minded really means? It's the, yes, Lord, I want your will done, but it better be my way. That's double-minded. Yeah, that's kind of the double. It's like, yeah, I know, Lord, it's my 10%, but boy, look at, you know, and you just turn. It's like, it's so hard not to. And so time and again, I've been, um, if I take the time to try to work through this section and get the log out of my eye, I'm in a battle. It's kind of like Jacob's struggle with the angel of the Lord where I'm wrestling against God over this situation and how it's showing me my motives and it's showing me my gunk and showing me all this stuff I do not like in my self-righteousness and all of this because it's so easy to see your problem as being deliberate and blatant and terrible and mine just being a little mistake and an oops and a foible. Okay? So what we do is we come to God and, and with all of our baggage and nothingness, really, and say, I only, the only thing I got here is junk that you got to sort through and clean out. Humility. It's not something you attain it's not like any other virtue, if you want to talk about it. It's not like you do something to be, wow, you gain humility. It's really of letting go of your own self-righteousness and any claim to anything else and saying, all I got is this junk, God, and I need your forgiveness. And I need to see it through your eyes. Humility is not looking down on yourself. It's just not even looking at yourself because there's nothing there to claim on God. It's just looking to God and his promises. And that helps us prepare us for step three, the third G. So glorify God, get the log out, and the third G is gently restore. Yeah, Jesus does expect you to go to your brother at some point to get the speck out of their eye. But only after the log is out of yours. So when you come to your brother or sister who's offended you or you've got this conflict that's been going on, when you approach someone in humility and they, you admit your 10%, whatever, if it's more than 10%, whatever, by the way, don't go to somebody and say, hey, I realize 10% of this is my fault. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and 90% is... <laughs> You understand that's just not going to work. No, you come to them and actually you've already put them in the framework of grace because that is the grace that you have understood when you've seen the log in your own eye that we're under the cross of Jesus Christ and we need to see that. So we come to understand and see them in the framework of grace so that we come already with the posture and the attitude to gently restore. And the goal is to speak truth in love, to only speak truth because of love. 
So that's why James says it this way, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? He's basically saying you don't come to somebody in the posture of being above them. There's somebody else who is the judge. You're not the judge. You don't, yes, you can discern. You can make judgments, but you're not the condemner. And by the way, you and I and all of us have been judged. We have been found guilty. And we have also been declared not guilty as Jesus has taken our judgment on the cross. And so when I come to a brother or a sister in Christ or someone, even a non-Christian, I come to them with the attitude of seeing them under that grace, a fellow brother or sister in need of forgiveness, just like me. Okay? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this great book called Life Together. Um, it's kind of a classic on how to live together <laughs> in, in, in unity. And that's why I think he writes in this, anybody who lives beneath the cross and who has discerned in the cross of Jesus the utter wickedness of all men in his own heart will find there's no sin that can ever be alien to him. Anybody who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified by even the rankest sins of a brother. Looking at the cross of Jesus, he knows the human heart. He knows how utterly lost it is in sin and weakness, how it goes astray in the ways of sin, and he also knows that it is accepted in grace and mercy. Only the brother under the cross can hear a confession. So you go to your brother as a fellow sinner, as a fellow or a sister who also needs forgiveness, and you can admit that you're a sinner too. It's amazing when you share whatever it is first, Lord, you know, or you come to somebody and say, hey, I got I, I, I to gotta apologize to you. I realize we're in the midst of this conflict, and I was really flippant with you. And I just came down hard on you in a way that was very unloving, and I think it came across, boom, please forgive me for that. And when you do that, first and up front, and when your intent is to forgive, in fact, that you've already decided in your heart to forgive and to speak forgiveness, it's amazing how the defenses come down, the armor's gone, and we can be a little more open to each other. And it leads you to do really the unthinkable, and that is to forgive before they even repent. And you might go like, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Forgive before they repent? They need to first, how does, it's the only way anybody gets forgiveness. You realize that? If God, you're following, you're following God. We, he, I'm going to wait until this world figures out they need me. Can you imagine? I am not sending my son down to that place until they beg for it. They've got to be sincere at least for a second. 
Romans chapter 5 says, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for the ungodly. Not the sort of good or the kind of good or the 90% okay, 50-50s. No, the ungodly. He comes and speaks forgiveness before, and then repentance follows. We see this in like the prodigal son story. We could go on a long time, but the father runs out to greet his son, and the son doesn't even get out his whole confession before he's welcomed. Or with Zacchaeus, and Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. It's like Zacchaeus didn't say a word. He, didn't, he was just curious at that point in time. He's all, and, and people were appalled at Jesus. He says, exactly, I'm here for sinners. It freaked them out that he reversed the normal thinking on this. And it freaks out this world to this day when Christians are willing to and speak forgiveness before someone would even repent. Now, does that mean, John, you're asking me to just get walked all over all the time? Not at all. I did say speak the truth in love. It doesn't excuse what anybody has done to you. In fact, it's so bad that only forgiveness will work on it. Do you realize that? There's no other fix. There is none. It doesn't avoid the truth, but you're saying, I'm not going to hold this against you. It's not going to poison our relationship. And it doesn't just stop with, oh, I'm not talking forgive and forget and move on as if. No. Because there's step four, which is, Get together for lasting solutions. So it's in the framework of grace, in the framework of that forgiveness, then you say, okay, now how can we work on this? How can I work on this? How can you work on this? So this doesn't happen again. So we can have a deeper relationship, a better relationship, a thriving relationship. Not everyone will receive forgiveness. Not everyone's. There are people who are absolutely stubborn and say they have no need to repent of anything that will only start you know, blaming you back. You just don't play that game with them. And there are situations of abuse or situations of, you know, addictions, etc., that are just, that are going to take a lot more than a simple one-step solution or two or three steps. I'm not, but this is what Romans says, Romans chapter 12, Paul says it this way, if at all possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You do your side of the equation. You do what you can. Bottom line. Okay. Like I said, I think at the beginning, I don't expect, okay, now you got the four Gs, you're going to do it, and everything's going to be great. Every relationship you have is going to be fantastic. No, I don't believe that. But I wanted to share with you today what I think James is also getting at in kind of a more caustic way, you know, blunt way, about how we can be that there is hope and that there is an alternative to the way that you are seeing problems and conflicts being (laughs) resolved and not resolved in this world. They're not being resolved. Have you noticed that? In fact, I don't know if some people don't want them resolved. God wants to bring resolution, reconciliation, hope, peace, Like I said at the beginning, he enters into the midst of our conflicts and jealousies and all that stuff right in the middle of it all. 
That's the way Romans 5, verse, 12, uh, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that only you can have peace, but you have peace. You have peace with God because of Jesus. Do you realize he gave us peace in the midst of the most chaotic turmoil? It's he dies for us when we were ungodly, and that's a historical event as well in terms of the Pharisees and Sadducees were the most self-righteously hateful, angry that they could possibly be to the fact that they were breaking their own laws that they knew holding a trial at night, which was illegal, blaspheming against God by claiming they have no king but Caesar when only God was their king, and condemning someone to death who had not sinned against them and had not taken God's name in vain in any way. They were absolutely on the wrong side, right? As well as the Romans who torture a man who's innocent, who don't care, who gamble over his clothes, Pilate who's totally politically expedient and only caring about his own skin and not someone who allows an innocent man to be condemned to death and not even think twice about it. And his own disciples, Jesus, they run away, they deny, they avoid, they, you know, and while the crowds are hating him and spitting and, tor- you know, all he's doing is forgiving and loving. We give him our worst and he gives us our best. And that gives us the power to be peacemakers. So where are you today? Maybe you are in the midst of a conflict, home, work, neighborhood, Maybe you're feeling stuck. Maybe you're tired of the chaos. Maybe you're wondering twice. Maybe you are seeing your 10%, or maybe you see it's more than that. Maybe you're struggling with getting that log out. Maybe you've tried, maybe you've tried to gently restore, that you've tried everything that is in your possession to do at this point in time, and it just seems to still be blowing up, and it's just not going anywhere. You know? Well, there's a lot of other people that have done it. We've gone through it all together. A lot of us are in the middle of all of this stuff too. That's why I'm so thrilled that we're having home huddles starting in just a few weeks. Because they're real places, real times where we are getting together to support and encourage one another, to speak loving truth to each other, to be there for each other, to pray for one another, to read scripture together, to be about our relationship with God, to to be reminded again and again of the framework of grace for our lives and for our foibles and our own yuck, and also the framework of grace for everyone else around us. So, like Phil said, you can, um, Guy Lombardo is over here in a white shirt, Talk to him if you uh, would like to consider, uh, consider maybe um, being moved to host one or be a part of one or be involved in it. He'll be around after the service. I know that's a long ways off for some of you, but it's not the only thing that we've got. There are a couple of books that we've been working through at times. One is called Resolving Everyday Conflict, and the other is... Um, the Peacemaker, great resources. We can get you copies of those if you want to read through them. But even today, after, uh, during Holy Communion, we're going to have, I think, two people up here, I think Laurel and Jennifer, praying for anybody in any situation. 
I think they're the two least judgmental people I know. So whatever it happens to be and you need, we need each other to help solve this stuff. This is tag team many situations in our lives. This is not something I can handle on my own. And I don't think James says, you got to get your act together, now do it. He's really talking community-wise, let's work together. And we're here. We'll be here to bring the gospel in practical, everyday situations in your life and our own. That's what we want to be about, so that you can glorify God, get the log out, gently restore, and get together for lasting solutions. Let's pray. Lord God, you know the fights and quarrels that are among us and what passions are just at war in ourselves as James talks about and how easy it is to project it elsewhere, but we know we're dealing with our own selfish nature, Lord, forgive us. I pray, Lord, that no matter what the conflict is, that you bring peace. Wherever there's despair, you bring hope. Wherever there's um, agony, your comfort. Wherever there's brokenness, your healing. That we would be at Thrive, a place where we do live it up. That our relationship with you thrives, our relationship with others thrive. That we are about um, bringing that reconciliation and hope and joy to this world. So bless us now, Lord, as we're going to uh, commune with you and you with us as you give of yourself in amazing way to us, miraculously, that you enter into our lives to bring your peace and hope and all the benefits of the cross, your death and resurrection to us personally. Help us to receive it, Lord, and be empowered by it for the sake of your kingdom. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.